Alright guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of John. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 3, we were dealing with the episode of Nicodemus, a ruler in the Sanhedrin coming to Jesus by night, seeking answers to uh, things that were really troubling him. Even though Nicodemus did not state them directly, Jesus revealed basically the truth of what was in his heart. And it was, how can a man really enter into the kingdom of God? And that's when this conversation began from Jesus stating that Nicodemus had to be born again. Now, Nicodemus, as a ruler of the Jews, understood what this statement meant. As we discussed in our previous videos, there were basically six ways for man to be born again, according to Judaism. And Nicodemus qualified for some, did not qualify for others. But as a whole, he qualified for none of them in the sense that he would have to start life all over again. And that's when Nicodemus said, how can this be if a man cannot re-enter his mother's womb and be born again? And that's when Jesus let him know that the birth that he was speaking of was a spiritual birth. It was at this time that Nicodemus well, I'm sorry, he didn't feign it. He really didn't understand what Jesus was saying at all. And so he proclaimed his ignorance, saying that he just didn't understand these things. And Jesus went on to be the great teacher that Nicodemus was supposed to be to explain these things, that the new birth that Jesus was talking about was not a physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth in the sense that it is an activity done of the spirit of God. And even though Nicodemus did not or could not understand these things at this time, he nevertheless should assume, or should I even say, should simply accept that this is what is happening as being spoken by Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus went on to simply tell him that there are many things that you accept that you do not understand. Say, for instance, the movement of the wind. You accept its existence. You accept the fact that it moves and operates even though you don't understand it. Same thing here. Accept the fact of the spirit's existence, of course, which Nicodemus as a Pharisee did, and also, even though he does not understand it, accept the fact of the Spirit's operation in making a person a new creature, the born-again issue. And Jesus went on to further clarify how all of these things actually happen, and simply because of faith in the person and the work of Jesus the person that he is son of God, that he is a divine being and that he is son of man, that he is also a human being. And as son of man, he is one who is sent by the father for the purpose of dying on the cross. And that's when Jesus said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, but he must die on the cross and, of course, be resurrected from the dead so that all who express faith in him will have life. They will experience this new birth. But anyway, 
Enough said about this part of chapter three with Jesus' meeting with Nicodemus. Now let's continue with the end of chapter three, which will be a very short section in this video as we look at John's final farewell in his testimony concerning the person of Jesus. And that is not John, the writer of the gospel of John, but John the Baptist in his final testimony concerning Jesus. Verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Okay, so now we begin this particular section in dealing with the overlapping ministries of both John the Baptist and Jesus. And in their ministries, what we see is they're baptizing. So we see Jesus entering into the regions of Judea, not far from where John was actually baptizing, and he was baptizing. However, in the next chapter, we'll find out Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples were actually doing the baptizing. Jesus was no doubt here directing the baptizing. Then it also lets us know John the Baptist was also baptizing in a region near Shalim. And we don't know exactly where that area is right now. But the point of the matter is. Here we have two great ministries. We have the great ministry of John as well as the developing great ministry of Jesus. And both of them are baptizing. And now remember what we said concerning baptism. The baptism basically was an indication that such a one who was submitting to be baptized is saying to the one who is baptizing, I believe what you are saying. I accept your words. And remember, the whole idea of the words of John was to repent and look unto the coming Messiah to point unto Jesus. OK, so but but we'll talk about how this does not conflict with what's happening right now, because you may be even thinking, well, if John is pointing them to Jesus, his baptismal ministry should be coming to it should be at an end. It is coming to an end. And that's why I said to you, there is a sense of overlapping in the ministry. But you will see that as we work through the text. But again, baptism, there's a message. And in the when the person submits to the baptism, you submit to being a follower of that person and adherer to his or her message. And John pointed to the Messiah. Jesus came and his ministry was he is the Messiah. He is the coming one whom the Jews were expecting through the law and the prophets. So therefore, if you believe in him as Messiah, you submit to his baptism and you become his disciple. And this is basically the idea of baptism. So John the Baptist is baptizing. Jesus is also baptizing and their baptism isn't too far away. And the final point was at this time, John had not been put 
into prison. And here it is looking to the future, which we know, but we won't get into that discussion yet, that John will be imprisoned and later on beheaded in prison. But anyway, let's continue. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now, here is where we get the clarity of what's taking place here, or that beginning of clarity. And in a sense, it addresses some of the confusion that you might have. Remember what I just said. If John is pointing to Jesus as the coming one, should not his baptism had come to an immediate end? So there seems to be some confusion. John, you have already pointed out Jesus as the Messiah. Remember the statement John made, the Lamb of God, behold, who takes away the sin of the world. And again, it said that John saw Jesus walking the next day and he basically said the same thing. And two of John's disciples began to follow him. And that's when we saw Jesus in getting his first disciples. But nevertheless, John had pointed out Jesus. So therefore, this man is asking about purification. And that's the idea. Now, there were many idea, uh, uh, elements concerning Jews, the Jewish purification, purification of pots. We just saw that in Jesus' uh, miracle in Cana and a number of other things, the washing of the hands and blah, 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 and on and on and on. But notice the very context, remain in context to the passage. We are not talking about purification in general, but the specific purification in baptism. So the man has a dispute, a Jewish man, dispute with the disciples of John, simply saying, hey, didn't John point Jesus out as the Messiah? And John said that he was actually the coming one and all the people are now going to Jesus as followers of Jesus, that is submitting to be baptized by Jesus. And the idea that's being implied is why therefore does John continue to baptize? And that is the issue of our confusion. If John has done his job and Jesus is now on the scene in his ministry, then why is the ministry of John continuing? Or in other words, John, you've done your job. You pointed him out. Why are you still baptizing? And that's the issue that this guy asked. And that no doubt could be some of your confusions. Why is John continuing in his ministry when his ministry was solely made by God to point people to Jesus, he did that. Shouldn't it be over with? And now John begins to give us an answer. Verse number 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. 
He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase. I must decrease. And so now let's look at John's answer. So John began to say unto them, in hearing these things, well, why isn't basically the idea your ministry brought to an end, John? And so he begins to say to them in an adamant fashion, first of all, no man can receive anything that is not given from heaven. That is the ministry of both John as well as the ministry of Jesus was sanctioned by God, were given by God. John's ministry was given. Jesus's ministry was given. And here the emphasis is upon the ministry of Jesus to validate the ministry of Jesus. As you see what more and more people coming to Jesus for baptism and fewer and fewer people coming to John. So John validates the ministry of Jesus that it is from heaven. And then he continues to say, you yourselves are witness. Now in the Greek, this is in, this is in the emphatic. In other words, John is simply putting emphasis on this fact. You know your own selves because I have told you what I have told you. I am not the Christ. I myself am not the Christ. In other words, John has already pointed him out to be the Christ. Jesus is the Christ, as is signified by John. And you can understand since Jesus is the Christ, the expected coming one, you can see why he's baptizing more. His ministry is growing and you can understand why mine is, and be a little premature, but decreasing. So he again says, I told you before, I'm not the Christ. You can expect his ministry to increase. And then he begins to style the event of what is happening in the ministry, in the ministerial or in a spiritual type manner, or should I even say parabolic manner? That's the better word in a parabolic manner as a marriage. And notice he styles him, Jesus as the bride. He styles those who are coming to Jesus to be baptized, who are Jesus's disciples. He, he styles them as the bridegroom, and he styles himself as the friend of the bridegroom. So in the Jewish wedding, the, the most important or main character is not like in Western marriages, the bride, but in the Jewish wedding in that time of Jesus, the most important character was the bridegroom. And so therefore, Jesus is the bridegroom. And since these people are coming unto him as he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, this is being styled as a marriage. And so therefore, they are called the bride. Is it not natural for the bride, the people, to go to the bridegroom? Why? He's the bridegroom. 
John is not the bridegroom. You don't expect the people to continually come to him, but to go to the bride himself, who is Jesus. And John simply says, as an attendant in the wedding festival, a very important participant in the wedding festival, John says that he is the friend of the bridegroom. So when he sees what the bride taking up, I'm sorry, the bridegroom taking to himself, his bride, the disciples, the growing number of disciples, John says, this doesn't upset me. This doesn't cause jealousy inside of me. That's the way it's supposed to be. When I see the bride take the bridegroom take his bride, I rejoice. And so he says, and in seeing this being accomplished, seeing Jesus's ministry grow and grow and seeing these people coming to Jesus, this makes me happy. Therefore, what? My joy is made complete. My joy is fulfilled. My mission in life that God sent me, that ministry that he gave me from heaven, my ministry is fulfilled. Okay. And then he simply says, and because of all of this principally stated, what? Since he is the Christ, that is Jesus, is the Christ. And since Jesus is the bridegroom to whom the bride, the peoples, must go to, guess what? Concerning my ministry versus his ministry, he must increase because it is now his time and I must decrease. Since I've done my job, I stand at the sideline happy to see people go to Jesus. He increases, I decreases. So John is saying, even though there is a slight overlapping in the ministry, the baton is being passed. John is passing the baton to his rightful runner, that is Jesus, the Messiah. And John is retiring out of the race. Okay. 31. He continues the testimony and witness about Jesus. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He comes, he who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that he testified and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has said to his seal to this, that God is true. Okay. And so now he continues on, as we stated earlier in his testimony about Jesus in a comparison contrast of himself, John the Baptist and Jesus, not just simply in their ministry, but also in their persons. And so what does he say about Jesus? He gives the superior position of Jesus. And we see this earlier above. Notice he says, he who comes from above. Now, we don't want to get into all of the details. Go back and look at Jesus' uh, conversation with Nicodemus in the previous video. And then you can kind of pull out all of those things that we said about Jesus and his person. But in a nutshell, it speaks of Jesus origin, or should I even say 
his pre-existence origin that he comes from heaven. His pre-existence is that he existed before he came from, or should I even say, through the womb of Mary into human flesh. He existed already. His origin is from heaven. So it speaks of the divine nature of Jesus. In other words, in a simple way to say it, he's God. He comes from above. He is God. And remember, this is the whole mindset of the teaching of the gospel of John. Jesus of Nazareth is God. John 1 and 1, John 1 and 14. But now he lays the contrast. But he who comes from the earth, this is John the Baptist. Now he speaks of himself. John comes from the earth and therefore he is earthly. And then, but Jesus, unlike John, comes from above. So we see the superiority in his persons as well in giving or stating the superiority of that person. It gives somewhat of a logical reasons. But guys, don't it make sense that they should all begin to follow him? He is greater than I am. He comes from above. He is God and I am simply a man. But then he goes on to say concerning that testimony of Jesus. And this is a part of what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus about receiving his testimony. Remember when Jesus simply said this, if I told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Only way you can tell of heavenly things, you would have to have firsthand witness of the things in heaven. To have firsthand witness of the things in heaven, you had to be there. But anyway, that's the idea. So therefore, what does John continue to say? Since Jesus comes from heaven, has seen the things that are in heaven, what he has seen, he is now able to do what? Testify. He can tell us about things. He can tell us about the things of God and namely, and this is the whole mindset that is driving as a sub theme of God. What verse was John one and 18 Jesus exegetes the father. Jesus explains the father why he existed in heaven in the bosom of the father. So he gives, has this particular testimony. And then John says, no one receives his testimony. And what he simply means by no one receives his testimony. He speaks of the uniqueness of Jesus in the things that he is able to say because of what he alone has seen. No other person because why? We are of the earth. We are earthly. Jesus is heavenly. No other human being has his origin. And we don't, we know, and when we say origin, we're not speaking of Jesus having a beginning, okay? We're just simply saying where Jesus resided in eternity past in the heavens with God. That's what we're saying. Since no one has this uniqueness of dwelling, if you let me say it that way, like Jesus, then nobody can tell you the things that Jesus says. He comes from a place 
that we do not come from. Therefore, his testimony is unique, and this makes him unique, separate, and different from all other men, okay? And then he begins to say, and those who receive his testimony, in other words, to hear the words of Jesus, to believe what Jesus is saying, number one, about himself. He is God sent from heaven. Number two, about his mission, that he came in human flesh to down that cross, rise again from the dead, to provide salvation for all. Those who receive his testimony agree and affirm his testimony and say God is true. They understand the truth of his message, that his message indeed comes from God. It is not a man-made message. It is not a man-created message. It is a divine message that comes from heaven itself, delivered by a messenger of heaven itself, okay? Even the Son of God. All right, with that, let's keep going. For he whom God has sent, see how it all works together and ties together? From God, from God, sent from God, message from God, uniqueness of God, uniqueness of that one who gives the unique message from God. But read the text. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Okay, so in the final section, he continues the testimony concerning Jesus. Notice as far as, remember I said the origin of Jesus, not that Jesus had a time of being born or time of existence or time of creation. Jesus has always existed. Verse one, in the beginning was the word. He always existed, but nevertheless, he came from heaven. He came from heaven as what? A messenger of God. He whom God has sent. And notice, remember we talked about the uniqueness of that message because of who he is and where he came from. So he is able to speak what? The words of God. You see, the prophets of old were energized by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God as they were energized, as they were filled and led of the Holy Spirit. Jesus can speak the word of God by virtue of who he is, God, from where he comes from, heaven, and from whom he dwelled with. So there is no intermediate state between Jesus and the direct message. The prophets had an intermediary. That is the Holy Spirit. God would speak to the prophets through energizing them of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus needs no such intermediary, even though he was filled with the Spirit. And even though Jesus had the fullness of the Spirit, as what, okay, which is where we are now, but nevertheless, he is a direct ambassador of heaven itself because of who he is. 
what he has seen. No one receives his testimony. But anyway, so he speaks the words of God. Then it says, for he that is God gives the spirit to Jesus without measure. And here also forms for us as John is declaring, this is another distinction of Jesus to all men. When God empowers us or even the prophets of old, even Moses or even the kings for the spirit of the Lord would come upon the kings who served as Israel's king. But the spirit only came in part. It only came for a specific reason. They never received the fullness of of the spirit in its internal dwelling. And even we, we do not receive the full, all of that which the spirit is in his person, in his manifestation, in his power, in his works. We don't get that. We receive the spirit, yes, true enough in different functions to bring us into the body of Christ and even to gift us, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But none of us has the absolute fullness of all the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. And for this reason, we are given the spirit in part. And this is what is known as gifts of the spirit. It empowers us for specific things, even though the spirit indwells us, but the manifestation of the fullness of his power and presence is not within us. That is reserved for one person alone. That is the son of God. That's Jesus. And this is what he means. He gives the spirit to him without measure no parts, all of it in totality. And then he says, why the uniqueness of the relationship? Notice again, that is the idea of contrast. It is the idea of uniqueness contrast with John, who John the Baptist, who is simply a man like us. We are simply men and contrast that against Jesus. He is the son of the father, the only begotten, the unique son of the father. And that's why all of these things that we've been speaking of concerning the spirit, his origin, blah, 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 his person. That's why he is qualified to speak. He is qualified for his ministry, right? But nevertheless, the father loves the son and has given what? All things into his hand, staying in the context again. What is the context? Why are these people coming to Jesus in such massive numbers? And again, why are you still continuing your ministry if he is the one that you say he is? He's already answered the part by he is the one that I said he is. He's now dealing with the whole point in why are so many people coming to him? Because he is the son and because the father and his love for the son has given him these things. He has given him this ministry. He has given him his service. He has given him all things belong to the son, not John the Baptist, not even us, except in Christ. All things are yours in Christ Jesus. So that's a wonderful inheritance for us. But, but 
the concrete point of what he's saying is the uniqueness of who he is in his relationship to the father. He is the true one to inherit from the father. The father gives him all things. And then he continues to say, for he who believes in the son has eternal life. Again, the purpose of Jesus in coming into the world, that is to die for our sins. God being made man for the purpose of being able to die, to provide atonement, propitiation for our sins. And by this, as he talked about earlier with Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent on that uh, uh, wooden staff, so must the son of man also be lifted up. Why? So that all who believe in him might have eternal life. So therefore what? Those who believe in the son have eternal life. But those who refuse the gracious gifts of God, those who refuse the magnificent acts of Jesus, that is God being made flesh. This is the greatest condescending act of all times for God to be made unto a man is much worse than for you to be made into a cockroach. It's much worse than that. The greatest condescending act to show God's love for you because what in sending God in human flesh to down the cross, it provided what it provided salvation a salvation you could not accomplish yourself. It was the greatest expression of the father's love. Even in this chapter, what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? For God so loved in this way, loved the world. How did he display his love for the world? In giving his only begotten son up to death. That's the idea. And if you reject this gracious act, and gracious gift of the son himself dying upon the cross, judgment remains upon you. He who does not believe the wrath of God abides. It remains on him for rejecting the most wonderful gift of grace that has ever and could ever be given. All right, <laughs> thanks for joining me with that. We finally concluded John in chapter three and dealing with the last witness of John the Baptist's testimony. And basically what we saw what was the overlapping ministry of John and Jesus. But as their ministries overlaps, we see the decreasing of John's ministry and the increasing of Jesus's ministry. Okay, now again, if these lessons have been a blessing, if you can say, Pastor Lee, thank you so much. I've learned so much. Then let me encourage you to say thank you by way of supporting this ministry. Look in the description. There's always a way. There's a little link that I've left in the description that'll show you how you can support this ministry so that I can keep bringing these teachings to you. But anyway, I had a ball guy. Guy, let's continue. Stay with me and come back with me as we continue in chapter four. And in chapter four, we get to that well-known passage concerning the woman at the well. All right, guys. See you next time.